from India's largest newsroom. I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast. In India, the past is never really behind us. In fact, it's constantly shaping and redefining our present. No matter which direction we look in, our mythological and religious texts deal with nearly every aspect of our lives. From what we eat to whom we pray to, the thread of the present often stretches back centuries. And to discuss matters of belief and faith at a time when they are being fiercely contested, there's no one better than Devdat Patnaik, India's best-known mythologist. He's the author of several successful books, is a prolific columnist, and is the host of television shows. In this series, Devdath will examine and answer some of the most pressing queries about issues of today through the lens of history and mythology. In today's episode, my co-producer on this show Jairaj Singh and I spoke with Devdath about how our myths look at the concept of warfare and our gods of war. Devdath, could you talk about you know who are the greatest soldiers in our culture? Mythology is a cultural truth and which is communicated through stories and symbols. So it really doesn't care for facts, it's indifferent to facts. But when you read the Rigveda for example, there is reference to the great warrior god Indra who is going on his chariot, fighting battles, drinking soma, um and his battles are really to collect cows. It's called gavasthi. The oldest word for war in the world is gavasthi or the capture of cows. Uh, some people argue that the cow refers also to women because these were Aryan men who were entering the country and were not getting wives and therefore had to negotiate perhaps through violence to get wives. So Indra is the great archetypal warrior. But in later Puranic mythology, you have got many characters who are fighters. So you have got um, Parshuram holding the axe. You have got Ram holding the bow. You have got Krishna with his Sudarshan Chakra discus. You have Shiva with his trident. Um, So you have Durga going into battle on her lion. So you have these images which emerge. And then of course from legendary sources, we have the famous Rajput kings going into battle on their horses. And there are many of these hero gods across the country who ride on their horses with a sword in their hand. So these are the images that we have when we talk of soldiers or warriors in traditional Indian culture. Today, when we talk of soldiers, we talk of just anyone. You have the physical fitness, you go apply for a job. It's a job. You apply for it. If you're fit and you meet all the criteria, you become a soldier. In traditional uh, society, when you're reading, for example, the Brahminical imagination of the world, uh, you are born into a family of warriors, right? So when we hear of the word Kshatriya, this great word which emerges in the classical imagination, you must remember this may not be reality, but this is the imagination of uh, these poets and priests who are imagining one group of people whose purpose is only to fight. That's something which is peculiar to the caste system in India. You belong to a family which is a warrior class. Uh, But of course, it changes over time. As you become more affluent, you can outsource it. You can hire people who give their services. And you have therefore new communities emerging. 
So, uh, you know, while Rajputs were traditionally protectors of the cattle, because Rajasthan was not really an agricultural belt, but there was cattle. But even in South India, you have these Veera stones of these great heroes who fight raiders and marauders and um, soldiers. We don't really have this concept of people uh, taking up a job as a soldier. They have to either be the village hero who protects the village, so he's a heroic figure, uh, but this idea of recruiting people to join the army comes much later. There were these martial communities, as you were talking about the Rajputs, the Jats, the Sikhs. Could you talk about these communities and what was their role uh, in the pre-British times? So um, just visualize economic from an economic point of view, right? Um, it's really there are two sources of income that have to be protected. One is land. So imagine you have land and you want to protect the land. So for example, in Kerala, in Kerala, you have land, you have agricultural land. Who protects the land? The ones who would hold the sword would be called the Nair community. They were the soldiers. Uh, and so it's not really the Kshatriya model of Vedas, but really who is protecting the agricultural land. Now compare uh, Kerala with uh, Rajasthan. Rajasthan, there's not much of agriculture, but cattle is important and you have to protect cattle. So the heroes in Rajasthan, when you read the... Uh, old poetry like Pabuji no Ford, where these uh, ballads are being sung of these great warriors who protect hunting grounds, pastures and animals. And their fights are usually over hunting grounds. So basically you have these guardians and protectors from where these martial rapes emerge. So the Rajputs come from there. Uh, the Marathas come later in the 17th century. They emerge in the Deccan regions. Kakatiyas and Hoysalas. Medieval period was an extremely violent period and all kings had armies and they went in these Digvijayams. Uh, and they, all these soldiers belonged to martial families who 24 by 7 did nothing but thought of fighting. It was not part-time soldiers. These were full-time soldiers. And uh, what would happen is how do you pay them? So when you read the very old text, um, Chanakya says they should always be paid by cash. And in fact, the cash, one of the thesis is the cash economy emerged to pay full-time soldiers because it's easier logistically to pay them cash. The alternative is to give them land. And the moment you give them land, after a generation or two, they will say, why should I fight for you? So the Delhi Sultanates had this ikta system. They would give land and say, you know what, I'll give you land, but in exchange, whenever I need soldiers, you will come back to fight for me. Now, what happens is once the king becomes weak, I will say, why should I come and fight for you? I will uh, control the land and I will not pay you tribute and I can create my own kingdoms. So land versus cash conversations have always been uh, a complex thing in the medieval era. So that's how the kingdoms emerged in India. You know, these this is the process by which uh, martial races emerged. But along with that, you have in the medieval period, this part-time soldier this um, uh, you know jogi as they were called the jogis of the especially in the banaras and the gangetic plains they would work in the field and in the, when there was no work in the field they would um, uh, join armies they would do these words nokar chakar which we use really come from the mongols which were basically paid professional bureaucrats and soldiers this whole idea of a mercenary soldier who fights for money um, starts emerging at that time 
and that's happening in the 14th century, 15th century, 16th century. So you have full-time soldiers and you have part-time soldiers. The jogi word means that they would not have wives and children during the period when they were fighting soldiers. Then they would go back home. There was a kind of a mystical element to it. It's a long, complex history. But we have to understand that Indian soldiers have a very complex history, not this Kshatriya imagination of the Vedic times. Even the Kshatriyas in those days were basically people who controlled the Kshetra, the one who controls the land and therefore uh, earns his living through the harvest. He doesn't work on the land, he fights for the land and somebody else works on the land. And do these martial soldiers have their own gods? Is there an invocation before the war? What is the culture of, of belief when it comes to warfare? So the interesting thing is that you know, the worship of the goddess is associated with soldiers. In Ramayana, Ram invokes the goddess Durga. In fact, in Bengal, there is a very famous story called Okal Bodhon, which is normally the goddess is called during uh, Navratra. Before the rains, he would call, you call the goddess. But uh, Ram calls her in autumn, which is why Durga Puja in Bengal is celebrated in autumn. It's called Okal Bodhon. The calling her at an irregular time, which is after the rains. War would usually happen before the rains, not after the rains. Because after the rains, there's so much of bounty. When you talk of kings of India, they really went on warfare for this very, almost like a poetic... Uh, performance where they would defeat a king and say okay now you pay me tribute and now you become part of my tributary so we must remember this and therefore the gods of war were Durga and they described this goddess as all the soldiers who die in battle their head becomes her trophy and therefore the Durga the Kali image of this Rundamala Rundamala is the head of uh, a, a necklace made of heads of fallen soldiers or there are these grand images which are there even in the Sufi traditions, the Ghazi traditions, the Sikh traditions of soldiers fighting headless in battle. Like they go into battle, their head is chopped off, but they continue to fight their arms and they become these powerful soldiers. Or their head rises up and goes to the heavens and the gods collect the heads in impressed by these wars. So you do find medieval folklore about these kind of soldiers who die in battle and obviously the goddess of the Ranachandi the goddess of the battlefield. So it's a female form, Ranachandi. In Tamil literature, she's called Kotravai, uh, who was associated with the dead body. So this whole idea of a battlefield strewn with dead bodies was seen as a sacrifice to the goddess. Um, the god of war in Gupta period was, of course, Kartikeya, who becomes Murugan in Tamil Nadu. But um, we don't know much about him because he sort of veins in significance and is overshadowed by Durga, who is, in a way, his mother. But in the, in the Gupta period, we find artwork of this uh, peacock riding, uh, virile young man with a spear in his hand called uh, Skanda Kumar, a very masculine associated with the planet uh, Mars. He's a big war god, which nowadays nobody remembers. Nobody remembers this war god uh, of Indra. Durga has overshadowed him. Uh, Ram, Krishna as war gods are relatively new constructions. 
there is reference to a lot of parshuram but it's more like he got angry with the local kings the kings rather than protecting the brahmins were, were exploiting the brahmins and therefore a brahmin had to take up the axe and kill the kshatriyas and the stories of conflict between kshatriyas and brahmins is a very big part of mahabharata and ramayana you also have the aspect of how war should be fought um which you know is very different in different cultures and in our epics itself because our gods are not averse to using trickery but the people who follow them believe that we must sort of fight war looking at each other rather than using trickery yeah so this whole thing about all fair in love and war that we hear about and using ambush and strategy um is somehow there is this very strange thing like rajputs were famous for frontal attack right they would hate doing trickery while when you talk about krishna and mahabharata or even today people will say you know krishna used trickery as if it's something terrible and i'm like the point is to win the war right and they'll say no 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 and indians have this very awkward relationship with strategy somehow strategies the cerebral approach which is there in the vedas all the gods use trickery and we look down upon it there is this kind of a cultural discomfort with being cunning but strategy is seen as something negative it's a very deeply rooted cultural thing this is that the pride the indian pride sir jhukayenge nahi hum bhagenge nahi really is a very and the rest of the world didn't follow that right in india warfare was almost like a performance uh and it is brute force elephants going straight ahead with elephants you can't do much right um the idea of i mean you hear of the king of madurai being embarrassed when the guns came into being saying that's not real warfare real warfare is you fight amne samne face each other and kill and the whole idea of being shot before you enter the battlefield was shocking to uh, you know many the king of madurai even today indians are like the cunning man is looked down upon and this brute force is looked up upon we would rather die in dishonor and lose in honor than win in dishonor so honor is more important than winning i want to actually ask you this this concept of honor is so interesting because how does how does hinduism then look at the role of war and and the idea of of doing right by war see what is a right war is the question to us so in ramayana a man is fighting for to get his wife back so by definition he is in a right place his wife has been abducted he's getting his wife back um when he's supporting the vali and sugriv sugriv is the weak brother if you're powerful and you're using your power to exploit the weak you are on the wrong side that is the definition of dharma which unfortunately i'm i'm surprised how people don't like this definition of dharma they think dharma is i am right you are wrong no matter what the situation is that's not the way definition of dharma right from shatapata brahmana very clearly if the mighty uses its power to exploit the meek then it's adharma and therefore in all stories the villain when you say ravan is the villain it's not for any other reason other than that you have abducted someone else's wife vali is the villain because you are stronger than your younger brother instead of sharing your kingdom you are beating him up uh, kauravas are evil because you have 100 brothers who are not letting five brothers have their kingdom so it's a very simple argument over there and therefore once you are on the side of the the right side then you can do anything krishna says you can do anything to win the war because the principle is Uh, the mighty have to protect the meek not exploit the meek that's the central theme of culture nothing else 
when parshurama raises his axe it's because the the kshatriyas rather than giving cows to brahmins are taking cows away from brahmins that's the story of parshurama and the killing of the kshatriyas he says they are not or when you read the story of vena being killed he's plundering the earth so it's very clear these stories but that part of why is a battle being fought is never discussed in india today it's just that i am right because if i fight for my family i'm good so it's a very feudal way of thinking it's not uh, a dharma way of thinking today's episode was produced by jairaj singh sunai marathe and anuja singh for a daily spotlight on people ideas and stories that matter subscribe to us we're available on ty plus spotify apple google podcasts and all other platforms of your choice for any news tips email us at tuipodcast@timesinternet.in